Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Buonasera, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man whose videos continue to undermine Tottenham's hunt for a new manager, Nathan O'Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> Hello, Wendy. <laughs> I don't know how to talk about that. I mean, it's probably easier for me because you spearheaded it, but I don't know how we can talk about that anymore without being like extremely arrogant. Because like multiple <laughs> times, like I uh, we've had a question where it's like, why do you guys hold this opinion? I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter what we say. Like I know that lots of people like listen to the podcast. We don't really have any influence, but like now we do. Now, now, <laughs> now we've now we've prevented Tottenham from signing a manager, and, and we have to we have to like <laughs> live in that world. So Bardi's really skeptical about this. Bardi thinks we would never going to get him anyway it's the bad fit sure sure uh, there are a hundred ways that it could have broken down like for tactical reasons for like transfer the the mendez stuff yeah equally i think quite possible is that like paratici's like put a name forward mm-hmm. and and has mm-hmm. done his stuff and levy hasn't yet come in and done his own due diligence and he could well yeah. have found the same things two or three days later than we brought it up and then we're relevant um so i i, I completely appreciate that 100 percent yeah, no, I, I'm I'm there too. I'm there too. But uh, every little helps, right? <laughs> um, before we get started with the with the podcast, I'm going to do a live draw for the winner of an extra inch T-shirt. Have a look at our shop, by the way, if you've not already. Extrainch.co.uk forward slash shop. Um, it's been some nice weather recently. You can get get an XG hat if you really want. Um, so we we put a tweet out saying the next. So we were on. We were on. I think. Gosh, was it 797 X subs? And I said the 800th. The next, no, in the next three subscribers, one of them will get a t-shirt. Uh, and the next three were Adam, Rob, and Jeff. Uh, so I, I've got the names in a, in a little pot here. I'm gonna pull one out. Little pot is a, it looks like a giant wine glass, wouldn't it be true? It's a gin, it's a gin glass. There you it's go. It's a gin glass. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I like my gin. Um, so <laughs> let's see who's won the, let's see who's won the extreme t-shirt. Ooh. Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? It's Rob. Rob is the winner. Well done, Rob. <laughs> well done, Rob. Um, I will drop you a message, Rob, um, and get your order and your size. 
thank you for subscribing uh 800 subscribers means that i now owe a free video um but there haven't been any videos recently because every time i start one the, <laughs> the news changes so i don't know maybe i'll do one for, I, oh i could release the ericsson one would that is that a nice thing to do or is that like being a weird like uh you know vulture? No, I, th- I think that's I think that's not a bad shout. Okay. Uh, alternatively, you could do one on Roberto Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> just, just deal with that situation. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? That's not. That's not. Surely, um, that's not. Is it? Is it? <laughs> Let's hope not. Let's hope not. Um, otherwise, Bardi's going to genuinely be asking for a season ticket refund. <laughs> um, I want to just address. Some stuff. I mean, you mentioned Ericsson, Nathan. I want to just address some stuff that came up from a discussion we had last time. So, um, trigger warning now, um, because I'm going to talk a bit about um, sudden death and cardiac issues for the next five minutes. If you don't want to listen to that, skip five minutes, and it will be a difficult subject for some people. Um, I I want to apologise. I, I made a comment in the last podcast that I don't I don't think was appropriate in hindsight and retrospect, and I, I don't stand by it anymore. Which is that we need to do more f- to protect our players' hearts. I think, um, and, and I'll explain why once I've read these these two things out, or it'll become clear once I've read these two um, emails out. We got this email from Johnny Merwell, which is a really difficult read, but I think it's a really important one. So here's what Johnny said. My brother died aged 28 from Brugada syndrome, a rare heart condition which he had no obvious prior signs of. While not an elite athlete, he was fit and in fact collapsed and died just as he crossed the finish line of a half marathon. Paramedics and doctors were working on him within two minutes and did CPR for the best part of an hour, both at the marathon and in hospital, but without luck. Following this, our entire family was tested under the supervision of Dr. Sanjay Sharma. You might remember him from the All or Nothing documentary as a doctor doing tests on Stephen Bergvine. After my brother's death, I did a short interview with Dr. Sharma. He is an expert in sudden cardiac death in young people, and I believe does or used to do all the screening tests on Tottenham players. He's also a Spurs fan. From my understanding, there has been a big drive in the last decade or so to screen for heart problems in elite sports, but sadly these tests don't always show up problems. It's also thought that up to 80% of people don't exhibit symptoms or at least don't mention them before death. We obviously don't know the exact cause of Ericsson's collapse, but I just wanted to say that I, I think elite sport does take it seriously. I think, sadly, Wendy was right. There will be more of these incidents, and sadly, it looks like they will, won't all be preventable. Sorry for the heavy email. Um, obviously, I should say I love exercise and playing football, and it's so important to stay healthy, but I also really empathise with the person Nathan said has an anxiety around this subject. I mean, really, that's a really difficult read, and, you know, sending sending love to Johnny's family, it's a horrendous thing to have gone through but I really appreciate Johnny taking the time to email. Um, We also got this from Tim Hustlebury. I was impressed with how you handled the Ericsson section in the last pod. It was clearly incredibly emotive for everyone, especially Spurs fans. At one point, Windy comments about needing to do more to look after footballers' hearts. And I wanted to clarify a few things. I work as a cardiac scientist at a major hospital in London. Firstly, elite footballers in particular undergo rigorous pre-season and pre-transfer assessments, including a thorough cardiac screening. This includes ECGs to check electrical electrical conduction of the heart, echocardiograms to image the structure and function of the heart, and exercise tests to judge exercise tolerance and the heart's response. These are then interpreted by expert medics and scientists. As you can imagine, picking up abnormalities in highly trained athletes is pretty nuanced. The heart is is like any muscle. If you train it, it will adapt its structure and function accordingly. This is where a lot of the difficulties with athletes comes. The cardiac changes that are associated with exercise can also be present in diseases that affect young people. 
in particular those that cause sudden cardiac death. Abnormally thickened heart muscle and or abnormally large chambers, albeit with the caveat that we don't have the full picture on Ericsson yet. So to cut a long story short, in highly trained athletes, distinguishing between a pathologically abnormal heart and a very well adapted heart is very difficult. There are numerous pieces of conflicting medical literature on this topic, but really it's a case-by-case basis. The ultimate way to check if there is an, enough suspicion of disease would be to ask the athlete to stop exercising and come back in six months to see if the changes regress. Would you ever ask that of someone whose career, someone whose career only lasts a few years? The reality is that you could send the athlete for more tests, which should likely be inconclusive unless in the case of severe disease, at which point a surveillance strategy is likely. As a final point, the team responsible for performing cardiac studies at Spurs are amongst, if not the, the world experts in this field, so Ericsson was certainly as well looked after as possible. A final point, sorry for the long email, but the Ericsson story is a brilliant story. The fact that the football world has improved so much since Mwamba's incident is truly heartening. Ericsson received CPR immediately and was defibrillated in less than five minutes. This not only saved his life, but has potentially unlocked a full life after this. The danger with these incidents is not only the cardiac aspect, but the hypoxic damage on the brain. It would be remiss of me not to mention cardiac risk in the young, which is www.c-r-y.org.uk, who offer free heart checks for young people along the lines of what I mentioned in the email. Given the demographic that listens to the pod, it may well help somebody greatly. Thank you so much, Tim, for sharing your expertise. It's really, really appreciated. Um, and I apologise for, for my comments, which were which were not fair at all. Um, clearly, football's doing a lot and these things can completely go undetected. I was speaking from a point of ignorance um, and, and you've informed me and I, and I really appreciate that. Um, and it's great that we have listeners who are so um, knowledgeable and intelligent and who can can speak as openly as Johnny did in his email and as Tim did in his email as well thank you both very much any any thoughts chaps no no I'm not an expert uh, I have now um, updated my first aid certificate so, so I have nice, that but nice. I don't I don't have anything else to add to the conversation uh, other than I highly recommend uh, everyone listening considers going out looking into the possibility of, of, of developing their first aid skills uh, and otherwise downloading the St. John's Ambulance app which isn't currently available on the and for Android um, but should be soon um, as a sort of a proxy <laughs> for, for doing that nice nice so what we what we've been up to on Patreon this week, chaps? Um, in fact, this week, this week, this coming week, we've got an insanely busy week because so today at the end of this podcast, you'll hear a chat with our fantasy Premier League winner Eric. Uh, then we're also doing Dungeons and Dragons sessions, uh, and then tomorrow, Tuesday, Nathan and I are speaking to to Matt Villian and Luke Griffin about recruitments in football. They both work in football. Um, uh, we're going to talk to them and then on Thursday we're doing a live Q&A session with their ex-sub so it's a, it's a really packed week um, and Bardi with a break in the Euros your Italian project is back it's back who knew that I was in I knew exactly what was going to happen at the Euros in Italy we're going to show everybody how forward thinking and how brilliant <laughs> they are I've um I've got my team um which is I've created an English Premier League team which has taken on the Premier League with 100% Italian. So before Locatelli and Spinazzola were all the rage, I already had them in my team. So nice. join and watch me take on the the might of Europe with those guys. And even if I am already out of the League Cup after losing the penalty shootout to to Everton, which was heartbreaking. I love your I love your live sessions. So it's good. So Bardi records sessions, but also you can watch along live. So there's some interaction with um with the ex subs who are 
who was schooling Bardi on how to play FM. Schooling? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm delivering Let's say you're getting history. a little help. I'm not getting any help. I'm delivering history. They just, you know, they're just, just like dealing with Coy's Twitter. They just, they just <laughs> they go one way, then they go the next way. <laughs> Amazing. It's very entertaining. Um, I like to drop in for five minutes, cause as much chaos as possible, <laughs> and then leave Bardi to deal with the... <laughs> the <mess. laughs> I do enjoy it. It's good fun. It's good fun. It's really good fun. Um, let's talk a little bit about the manager hunt. I mean, I quipped about it at the start, but it's uh, it's becoming ridiculous. It's, oh God, I don't even know where to start. Um, so Nathan, aside from no to Gattuso, what did you think of the apparent links with Gattuso? <laughs> well, I, I did sort of touch on the tactics uh, in, the, in the video. Uh, I was overly harsh, obviously. Um, and I, I said that, you know, he plays... A sort of a stale possession game that sort of doesn't advance into the final third all that much. Um, which, like, uh, some of the patterns from their, from their play out the back is quite impressive, but they keep like, like three players outside of the opposition's, uh, pressure mm. a lot of the time. So they always have like two spare men. Um, so they do have some difficulty arriving in the final third. They scored, uh, 86 goals in the league last season, which is obviously really good, but they did so from 68 expected goals. Mm. So how, like, uh, how, how repeatable that might have been is, is, is contestable. And the other thing is that, like, and something that you, you, I know are, are, are certainly a big fan of is, like, the defensive side of having the ball passing around the back so much is that they don't concede much. And while mm-hmm. I did criticize the fact that their pressure is really bad, they get pushed back very easily, they get trapped back easily, which is something that we saw with Spurs last season. They are, they, Napoli maybe true probably true of Milan as well but they they do get they do defend that situation well um, and then eventually you know win possession from a, a long shot that goes out and, and build out from the back again so defensively strong um, questionable in possession but having the ball itself like if if there's meant to be like uh, you know club DNA stuff going on here right having the ball and passing it between the centre-backs and then occasionally arriving in the final third where you have a really good forward is like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that counts. I don't want that to count. I don't think that should count. Okay, that yeah, I mean, you've answered what was going to be my next question. Sort of, does it make sense in, in the scheme of um, Levy's like, Spurs DNA comments? Like, naively, yes. Right, but okay. not under a microscope. And the same is true of... Conte you know it's it, it like there's possession there but it's it's not like expressive it's not forward mm-hmm. thinking it's not demanding possession and, and doing things in that way it's um I don't know whatever <laughs> what, what about Ernesto Valverde yeah uh, I don't know that much about Valverde um but yes I he uh, for, from what I can tell he did a really good job with Bilbao multiple times um and his work at Barcelona is really under-celebrated because their their squad building their their board is a catastrophe. They've been terrible for years. Having Messi on the books cripples them. But what are they going to do? Sell Messi? That's ridiculous. So um, it's a really really tough gig, and that's been clear since he left. And what what's happened at Barcelona since is that I mean, the fact that he won league titles with with um with the the squad and the support that was given to him is, is probably probably under-celebrated because, oh, it's just Barcelona. Everyone wants it with Barcelona, whatever. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think, <laughs> I think I'm potentially looking forward to eventually learning more about him. <laughs> only, <laughs> only if we officially announce him because I'm not doing it again. I'm not doing fair. it again, that's, Wendy. That's, that's completely fair, mate. That's completely fair. <laughs> uh, Bardi, is Nuno Espirito Santos a potential season ticket cancellation candidate? 
Um, no, he wouldn't make me cancel it, but it's not the kind of we could have we could have appointed him months ago if we wanted him. And I don't, I don't think going back for this guy makes any sense. I don't even think he he's that great. He did he did fine with a Wolves team, which is uh, propped up by Mendes and the rest of them. But you know, <laughs> it doesn't really do much for me. It's grim football, to be honest. Like he did really impressive work, but is mm-hmm. it's it's definitely definitely not club DNA football. My Absolutely. goodness, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he right. could have done, he should have done a lot better with that team, especially last season. But maybe we get him and bring the best out of Doherty. We sign him just to, <laughs> you know, sometimes they'll, they'll sign a manager just to get a star player working. So maybe we'll get him to cheer up Doherty. And the, and the thing with both Santos, potentially at least, and Gattuso is the Mendes link and, and the stuff mm-hmm. that we went through, maybe to a lesser extent with Mourinho, is, is having him in charge so much of our incoming and outgoing transfers, having an agent be our director of football when we've got a director of football and a chief scout and a uh, invasive chairman. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a, a tasty three-way, uh, Paratici, Levy and, and uh, Mendes. Yeah, just what we need. Um, Barty, did you did you just say that Matt Doherty's our star player? Well, no, I'm saying that you would hire Nuno Espirito Santos to get the best out of your star player. So the only reason I could think of signing him, uh, of getting him, was just to improve Doherty. That's it. Yeah, not worth it. Is no, it? no, of course not. And I've just realised we both called him Santos just now, and it's Santo, isn't it? Yeah, well done, Win. That was you that went first on that, and then I, I followed. Yeah. I followed you like the the blind person I am. Uh... But it's my fault because I've typed it wrong in the running order. <laughs> I just, I just read it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's um, it's Anchorman. It, uh, <laughs> if I put a question mark on the end of a sentence, you'll read it as a question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's that. Um, there's been some quite interesting reporting around our manager hunt this week. So, so firstly, it seems like the club is annoyed at the leaks. And it's a strange one because initially everyone was like, it's really unusual. There's no leaks about this Spurs managerial hunt. That was the case for the first, what, month mm. after mm. Mourinho said, no, not month, a couple of weeks at least, three weeks maybe. People were saying there's no, there's no rumours coming out. There's nothing. There's nothing. And then suddenly loads of rumours came out about all kinds of managers. And it seemed like um, different elements of the press were getting hold of different things from different agents, but also clearly from the club. Um, any thoughts on that? I have some friends who work in Italian football mm. and they say everything that happens, every discussion that takes place between clubs in Italy is essentially a matter of public knowledge. And I think that hiring an Italian director of football ah. means that <laughs> means that we're just like an open shop now. I don't know if Barney can come with that. No, I, li- I like to think us Italians, we know when to stay silent. <laughs> I don't think you do. <laughs> I think you think that, but it doesn't materialise. Of course not. I've never been able to keep a secret in my whole life. <laughs> so, th- so this is, so this is, okay. So we basically are able to completely pinpoint when Paratici started his role um, by the first day in which rumours started coming out of Spurs. Think that may well be the case. Interesting. I mean, it doesn't uh, take much to get to get clicks at the moment. Is your is your guy out of work? Yes, then just <laughs> just link him to Spurs, and they will get clicks. They will get hits. I mean, that is true. Yeah. That is completely I think, true. I think that's true. I think that's definitely an element. But I, I, it seems like what Spurs are annoyed at that it's like it's not false reporting. It's like it's over reporting. So yeah. we have one conversation, a sort of a preliminary chat. And then the the news is Spurs are on the brink of announcing in seven to ten days this manager or whatever. Seven, uh, seven to ten days comment has been uh, a lots of fun in the Discord. Yeah. So yeah, so I think I think um, 
I don't know why that's the case, why that's repeatedly the case that if we have... And I think like it's completely normal and reasonable for us to have lots of preliminary discussions yes, with yes. multiple different mm. options. Like that's how you go about it, right? Or that's that's a good way of going about things. Um, I don't know why. Or maybe like... Um, <laughs> maybe our way of talking to managers is with an immense amount of promise and then from their end it gets leaked from the managers the prospective managers end it then gets leaked with that amount of promise to the press that that's the only speculation i have but um i don't know it's a weird one i think that until a manager is officially announced every time that we're really strongly linked with someone we have to like downgrade that a couple of notches and say mm. we're thinking about a guy, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes sense. So, so there's been some interesting reporting on the Fonseca situation in the past few days. Um, different, different reporting. One of which, one one part said that essentially Paratici decided against Fonseca because uh, Paratici wants to play with wants us to play with the back three, whereas Fonseca in, in discussion said he wanted to play with the back four. Um, which is really interesting because you you come to this discussion then around, well, does a, does a director of football determine which tactics a manager plays? And I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. I think it's, in terms of signing players for, for the, the, the manager's team, absolutely. Uh, you need to know what tactics you're going to play because you need to then sign the right players or identify the right players. Um, but should the should the tactical style be set by the director of football or whatever he is? I think so. I think yeah. you're, you're hiring a director of football who has a vision for the club. And if his vision is three five two or whatever, he will appoint a manager or a first team coach that can play it. We're not we're not hiring managers. We're hiring coaches here. And yeah, that's that's what that's if this vision of the club is that, then you you hire according to that. You don't hire um um what's it, Sean Dyche if you if you're a director mm. of football looking to build a three five two. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, it's it's going to be a weird one for for English football fans because it's it's not what they're used to at all. But I think it's absolutely reasonable. I think if you look at um the Red Bull clubs, the way that, the way that they're built top down and all, all their teams play pretty similarly and that they mm. recruit along the same lines, they often play the same formation, but it's not glued. And that's the thing is that like it's not Paratici saying you have to play through the back to Fonseca. I think it's Paratici saying I'm building a squad designed to play it through the back. I can't influence who you pick on the day, but that's the squad I intend for you to be working with, right? And I think there's a, there's a difference in communication there. And then since this news, there's been more... The BBC reported that, like, um, Fonseca was looking... Uh, like, when they were discussing signings, Fonseca was looking at, like, attacking signings, attacking players, the attacking end of the squads, where we all feel, and I imagine Paratici feels things are pretty fine, and wasn't that interested in making def- changes to our defensive end of the squads so mm. i mean for me that's pretty reasonable grounds to pull the plug because mm. that's yeah you know so uh yeah well it, it would show a lack of knowledge of the squad right sure 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 I, th- I guess if you sort of marry the the two bits of information there there's there's obviously some disagreement on like what needs to happen to spurs defense um there, yeah. there, there needs to be a shared vision. There absolutely needs to be a shared vision. And the way you've just described that, you know, I'm building a, a squad for, for a back three. That makes more sense to me. Um, I, I guess the issue I would have is the form, the actual formation that players take on the, on the pitch is only one part of the tactical vision. I mean, you can achieve pretty much the same things with a back four or a back three in, in certain ways, you know, for example, in possession by having the defensive midfielder drop in between the, the two centre backs to create a back three when you've got the ball. Um, and, and I don't think the director of football should be, um, 
determining that in in such a way. However, I do I th- I think the point you've made, Nathan, is quite a is one I can buy into. That you know I'm buying enough defenders so that we can play a back three, and and that's that. And you you work with it, sure. And and you know different style of defenders because in a back three the defenders will be having slightly different tasks compared to a back four. Um, lots of discussion also around Kane today because there's reporting from um, Fabrizio Romano that Man City have made an offer and that three players are available for a, for a part exchange deal. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling and Emirate Laporte are the three mentioned by Romano. Mm. Who knows if any of that is, is real. Uh, Dan Alvarez one of our ex-subs said, would you rather keep Kane another year and more or less have the same squad or take the hundred plus million and bring in three to five quality young players and really start to rebuild? Uh, Bardi, any of those City players interest you? Uh, Laporte interests me. He's a good defender. Um, Jesus is, he's a strange one. I don't think he's that good, but I think he could work in a certain formation. Doesn't really get enough minutes to see. I think he could work as a kind of high pressing forward. His scoring record is not brilliant. And who who was the third one? Sterling. Raheem Sterling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I like Sterling, but I'm not, not totally sold on him. But a hundred million and those three, I think, is probably a pretty good deal. Um, especially for a player that hasn't scored a goal yet at the Euros and has been outscored by Immobile and Dumfries and Shakiri and loads of other. <laughs> loads, loads of other bin men. Uh, so I don't think Kane's doing himself any favours at this Euros. And I think if we don't sell soon, the price is just going to keep dropping. <laughs> you're, you're, you've gone too far into Italy mode, mate. You, you, you've lost it. <laughs> Get rid. He's, he's having, he's, he's having, he's, you normally buy players after they're having a good tournament. He's, maybe Kane is doing this on purpose. He's just... He wants mm. to get out of Tottenham, so he's purposely dropping his price by playing terrible. <laughs> or, or England don't pass in the ball. It could be that. Or maybe Kane just thinks he, he's Maradona and he's, he's going into parts of the pitch where he's just got no business being there. <laughs> Nathan, sell Kane yeah. or use the money to rebuild the squad. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't like City's squad has aged. Um, their good players are on enormous wages. Their role, well, Sterling's only 26, but Sterling is like an old 26. Like yeah. he's, he's, been, he's got a lot of professional minutes under him at, the, at that age. And also like, who's gonna like leave City to come to Spurs? Who's gonna like accept the wages we have on offer? We took some of the younger players, some of their like, um, uh, starting to get minutes, like the next Phil Foden type players, like maybe, but I Did just that. think, I just think like, uh, this is it's the same answer I gave when we were asked this question in a more hypothetical situation a few weeks ago. Is like, we're, if if you consider like the total value sum as like I don't know 130 million, we're better off spending that 30 million on players who aren't associated with Premier League clubs in any way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we're better off buying a centre back who isn't Emery Laporte, who's going to cost less and therefore take less out the money on offer. And if the money isn't there to be offered from City, then we'll just keep Harry Kane. I um yeah I mean I I'm I'm in theory I'm I'm down with that um however I I still genuinely believe that Raheem Sterling is one of the best players in the in the league he is and and if the opportunity came to sign him then I would be absolutely all over it you know 
I think we couldn't turn our noses up at Sterling, even though yeah, it's, a, it's a position of strength. Why wouldn't he turn his noses up at us? Well, exactly. This is the thing. And so just because City make him available doesn't mean it's actually a realistic transfer. I, d- I just don't think it is, to be honest. Um, one, one which might be more realistic is someone like Nathan Ake, who's had absolutely no game time at City. And he's probably thinking, why have I made this move other than finances? Um, you know, maybe, maybe they will offer some players. Maybe, maybe it's possible, but it doesn't feel realistic to me. I must admit. Uh, but I, I must admit that I'm, I'm sort of moving towards just sell Kane and move on. <laughs> I really am, and it's not just the England performances. It's the, it's, it's the fact that we can only get another season out of him maximum. So you kind of go like, well, what's the, what's the point? Um, I can't believe you're deserting your guy, Wendy. You just, you're, you're joining um, Nathan and I. Just stick with Kane. Come on, stick with him. Uh, I, I, I love Harry Kane. Uh, I have loved Harry Kane, but I think he's gone about this the wrong way. And I think bridges are burnt to some degree now, and so it's the beginning of the end. Hmm. So let's just rip the plaster off. Um, it seems like Bale won't be rejoining next season. Um, I kind of thought he would be, and so in some ways it's come as a bit of a blow to me because it seemed like a logical, sensible move to get him back in. But, um, you know, such is life. Well, I think because Zidane's left uh, and, he, and they, they've signed Angelotti and he gets on long well with Angelotti, he thinks he hasn't in there and, yeah. you know, whatever. I, I'm not I'm not shocked and I'm not too upset. We had a big, long discussion in which I sort of came over on the balance of, yeah, okay, I guess it kind of makes sense for one specific purpose. And if we're not getting that, then like, fine, then, then yeah. we're thinking more long term. I have no problem yeah. with Bale not re- not renewing. He he's a, he he performed brilliant against some of the lower lower teams, but he's not a he's not the player we should be spending all that money on because we can't build a team around him anyway. He's not he's not he can't he can't last the whole season. Yeah, I mean, I just think if if we are going to sell Kane, the guaranteed goals that Bale brings would have been very valuable, but we'll have to find it elsewhere. Um, Danny Rose to Watford. Uh, I I was quite surprised to see him get a Premier League move. I must say. Yeah. Um, I'm intrigued to see how the first few months go because he obviously hasn't played football for an awful long time. But I must say, I was really pleased for him. I was really pleased to see Danny Rose land on his feet. He he pissed me off no end with his interview with the Sun. But since that, since then, I feel like he has been he's been he's been a really important speaker on a number of important issues, particularly mental health. And I have huge admiration for him as a person um, for doing that work and. I think Spurs have treated him particularly badly. And I think him becoming a sort of a meme as a result of all or nothing was really sad after the service that he gave to the club. So I was really chuffed for him that he got his Premier League move. What do you reckon, Bardi? I'm happy for him. Um, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm glad. Will you, you give him a good reception when he comes back to White Hot Lane? Um, I'm a bit weird about giving ex-players good reception. I'm just—it's not really my thing. Uh, I'll give him a meh, a kind of an indifferent silence. An indifferent silence. I—I I just feel really strange when people get up and applaud ex-players as they come on. Or yeah, I, it's just they're, they're dead to me. Once once you once you left Spurs, it's all over. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, don't really care about Danny Rose anymore. He's gone. Fair enough. Um, let's do a few minutes on the Euros before we before we um, speak to Eric. Um, Bardi, you must be over the moon. I am, but I want to hear what you what your take is. You you promised me something in WhatsApp earlier that you you're going to keep your powder dry. So. I'm waiting to hear this because you've been banging the drum for England since the start. I've had to start questioning your football judgment because the way you see this England team. So please, I'd love to hear from you, Wendy. I think England are really good. I think we've got (laughs) loads of really good players. I genuinely think we've got one of the best 
squads in the tournament. Uh, and I think the approach that Southgate has taken is a typical um, tournament approach. Um, and it has is an approach that has been successful for various teams in the past. And therefore, I think it's it probably the right approach on balance. Um, there, there's clearly some, there are clearly some issues there. It kind of relies heavily on taking the chances when they come. Um, I think as a nation, as a, as a nation of football fans, we are very outcome driven with our takes on matches generally. And had we beaten Scotland, had John Stones' header gone in or had Mason Mount scored his chance, I think the narrative coming from that game would be very, very different to the narrative we're seeing. Um, and I think England deserved, I think England deserved to win the game. I thought Scotland played really, really well. Um, they contained us for large periods of the match. The tactics were spot on. Uh, England were very passive, very side to side, uh, and yet, you know, created enough expected goals to have, have won the match, in my view. Um, they're not exciting me. I'm not watching England, like, leaping off my seat thinking, wow, this is amazing. Whereas Italy are genuinely getting my heart racing a bit. They're playing some lovely football. Uh, but I completely get the approach and I think it's a, a, a classic tournament approach, which is you keep things tight at the back and you, you grind games out with the goal and you conserve energy as much as possible until the latter stages. I also think having Tyron Mings at the back, who got a lot of criticism before the tournament started, has has also legitimately meant that we've needed to be a bit more cautious. And he's played really well so far, but he's been well protected. We've played a quite defensive structure around him, you know, including Luke Shaw, who's a very attacking fullback, playing an incredibly reserved role. And I think that's sensible. I think that makes sense. I think with Maguire back in the team, we'll see naturally a, a slightly more expansive style of playing out from the back. And, and I do think there's room for some experimentation in our th- third um, group match, where I'm hoping we might see Grealish come in from the start, which I would be in favour of in terms of a bit of a rotation. But I'm I'm not unhappy with England so far. I think they absolutely are one of the teams that can get to the semis. And then if you get to the semis, then, then you know, anything can happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, Italy, absolutely incredible. I'm, I'm loving watching them play. Even their second string was, was a fantastic watch. And I, I fully endorse your excitement. I think it's correct that you're so excited about it. Um, has that, is that a spicy enough take? Yeah, it is. I, I still think a John Stone's header from a corner and a Mason Mount chance, which I can't even remember, is pretty slim pickings for playing against Scotland, one of the worst teams in the competition. I think England needs to be doing a lot better. I don't think they've come up against any kind of real opposition. And I just think their inability to control a game and pass through a team is, is quite worrying. And... I, I just don't, I just don't see how putting Grealish a, another forward in that team helps. I think England's biggest problems is their midfield. Um, I think Mings has been okay. Um, it's just, it's just a bit boring from England and it's not really how you win tournament football. Um, I don't remember the last team that's been that boring that's won something. And Portugal. Portugal. Okay. But then you're talking about a team who has a, a sensation up front and they still managed, they still had some decent players in that team. France but, is just as boring. The last, the last three France, yeah. major tournament champions are boring as hell. Like that's international football. And I like the, like the Rice Phillips midfield is, is very reminiscent of like the, the decisions made for Portugal and decisions made for France. France it's, playing it's, Sissoko. Yeah, it's boring as hell. So Kante is the six and Sissoko is, is one of the two eights. You know, it's, it's boring as hell to watch and that's international football. Um, I would really like to have seen Bellingham take Phillips place yeah, yeah. against Scotland. But if the priority is like thinking about how we're going to play and who we're going to play when we have to play, you know, for the likes of Croatia, like we went out to Croatia 
And then this time we've beaten Croatia with that much more boring, sturgy, two defensive midfielders approach. Um, I don't know. I hate to watch it, but I won't hate to watch it if we win. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think England can. I don't think England can win the Euros with this team and um, with that manager. Perhaps I don't. I don't see him changing this. I think what the best tactical thing that could happen to England is they get a lucky draw now and they they miss a couple of big boys and that way they may stumble into the quarterfinals. But I don't see anything in this England team which makes me believe that they've got the the tournament winning capabilities. Even even the Germans who are who are faulty in certain areas look look far look far more accomplished than, than England right now. I think and also I think um England being I think England being labeled boring and then the Spanish also being labeled boring is is a weird is a weird take. I would rather watch Spain at the moment than than England. I just find England they just plunder through games with the hope that a set piece or somebody can pull a can pull a rabbit out of a hat, but at the moment Kane doesn't look like that. Sterling doesn't look like that. And maybe Grealish is that guy, but I don't think so. I don't think Aston Villa's um, Jack Grealish is, is going to unlock this tournament for England. I don't know. I think there's an argument that Grealish is our best player, to be honest. And I, I, I certainly have questioned him being out of the team. Um, but then having said that, I like Sterling. I like Foden. I, I really like Mount. So, you know, whatever kind of thing. I personally like to see a midfield three of, of Rice, Mount and Grealish at some point or Foden. Um with the other pushed up. Uh, and I think that could be some some useful experimentation in our final group game. But equally, if he doesn't make changes to the team, then I completely understand the ethos behind it. Um, Kane's an interesting one. Kane's barely had a kick for England so far. And I think it's partly due to England not getting the ball to him. But I definitely also think there's something wrong with Kane. Um, because when he has had the ball, he's made mistakes. He's looked frustrated. He, he's, he's, his touch has deserted him. He looks heavy legged. I don't know. I, I wonder if that injury is still impacting on him, but I also yeah. think that the, he, he said it isn't, but I, I think the question marks over his future probably are impacting on him as well. True. I don't think, I'd just like to ask Nathan a little bit more about France in, in 2018. I don't think France are, could be classified as a, as a boring team. I think France do what they need to do without ex- overextending themselves. But I do think there's, there's plenty more in that team if, if needed. They, they managed to, they went toe to toe with Argentina in 2018 and outscored them in the final. They managed to put together four wins, uh, four goals as well. I think, I think just because they, play a negative or a, a defensive setup as we've said many times doesn't make them a defensive team I just think that they're so good that they're able just to just to jab their way through most games the, well, with having essentially with having Pogba in the team and sort of electrically fast attackers they are able to have a, a handful of moments throughout mm. the game that are good to watch and we remember the moments but I think that like outside of those moments for 80 minutes of a the game they're, they're really not fun <laughs> yeah but I think the difference is France so at least are fun for ten minutes. England are in misery for ninety. <laughs> we need to we need to work on those ten. We're getting there. Right? I, I was watching the Scotland game and I was just like, would anyone else in the world actually care about this game if this game was stopped right now, other than the English <laughs> and the Scottish and one Italian? They, they the, definitely wouldn't. But I was the, so into it. The Scottish people I know have been like celebrating for days. The most boring nil nil draw. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I get it though. I, it was. I found it really like it wasn't a good game of football, of course. But as a spect, as a like as a as a as an event, I was really really into it. The atmosphere was amazing. The pre match stuff was great. Um, you know, whilst it was 
as as a as a sporting event, it was average as hell, and there was very little to get excited about. I found myself really invested. It was like the um, the the Newcastle versus Sunderland derby that no one other than <laughs> Newcastle Sunderland give a shit about it, and it I just found it. I just found it really uninteresting. And I think England have so many interesting players that they're just wasting everybody's time with this. And we're just waiting for Southgate to rock up at Tottenham. And I can just, I can just smell it. He's got, he's got, he's got Tottenham written all over him and it's not good. Not with his style, surely. Mm. Place for it. Right. Let's, 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 um, let's go talk to Eric, our FPL winner. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss so we joined we're joined by eric blomquist from um you're a wizard harry which is the name of his fpl team in the x subs league eric welcome to the podcast thank you thank you very happy to be here As we're I happy said, to have you you're a high achiever an actual proper football manager joins <laughs> joins the podcast someone who's who's done something in the game right i know um eric first and foremost can you talk us through how you came to be a spurs fan mm, yeah actually uh it's I've, i'm just past a decade of being a spurs fan so i grew up playing football in sweden but didn't really have a, a fan while playing and then I think as I scaled down my youth career at around age 16, 17, uh, it also coincided with us getting access to the Premier League at my house. And then I had a, a close friend of mine who supported Tottenham since previously. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know about this team, but better check, it, check them out. Uh, and I can't remember the first game uh, I saw, but I remember realizing I was a fan at the first game of the 2010 season and it's a nil nil versus Manchester City mm. <laughs> and you made like 16 saves or something uh but just the way we kept attacking and uh, the way we play was really uh something that connected with me so I guess I fell in love at that stage and then what confirmed me being a fan was the Champions League run and all of a sudden you have a a, a team that I follow that plays against Zlatan Ibrahimovic and as a Swede all of a sudden I'm not supporting Zlatan which is like a, a really weird sensation growing up uh, in Sweden. So that confirmed it for me. And I guess Amazing. I should Oscar as well, my friend. Uh, I'm not sure if, if Bardi remembers as well, but we, we met uh, at the Newcastle game at the start of last season. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you have made it over for games. How many, how many roughly have you come over for? Uh, I think I've been at seven or eight. That's um, a good effort. That is a good effort. I to go at least once a season. But yeah. then... 
the last year has been tough. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, it makes complete sense. Um, so you're obviously a very talented fantasy Premier League manager, and and there are multiple facets to that. So I've I've done a bit of research into your the season that you had, uh, and that you know it's the primary reason you were here to talk. It was part of the prize for winning the X Subs League was that you got to come on the podcast. So let me just talk through your season. Um, you had a pretty slow start, but you went from a millionth in game week four to straight inside the top two fifty k in game week five with a score which was ranked. Um, under fifty nine thousand in the in the in the game, which is really really impressive. Um, and that was actually your highest ranking game week score, and the week that you played your first wild card, and you brought in Son and Kane at that point, really early to get on board Son and Kane. Um, uh, and you were earlier than I was, for example, and you stuck with them way more than I did. Uh, you also brought in Emmy Martinez, who ended up being one of the most successful players in in the game last year. Nice. From game week 17, you were never outside of the top 100k, which is seriously impressive. You are someone who doesn't make a lot of transfer hits. You, you're very stable with your with your team selection. So you, you, you only took five hits across the whole season. You used your bench boost in game week 19, uh, which wasn't such a great use of the bench boost because two of the players blanked and you only got five extra points. But you got an absolutely massive score that week anyway, so it didn't matter to you. And then you triple captained in game week 26 when, and you used Kane as your triple captain in a game week where he played Burnley and Fulham. So it seemed completely logical. Uh, he only got eight points, so you scored 24 points. And you used wildcard two in game week 31. So quite near the end, to be fair, but um, a, a sensible time to use the wildcard. Did you have um, a preseason strategy for when you were going to use your chips? Uh it was definitely not part of the plan to use it in game week five already. Uh, so uh, I had to restructure my team pretty early on. Uh, so what I knew uh, from the media I've consumed and my, my strategy of myself is uh, I wanted to have my core players in place early. So uh, and by core players, it's like the, uh, the standouts in specific teams. So at the start of the season, it's hard to judge which team will come out firing. Uh, so that led me to think, I think, I think you summed up that I took five hits in total. And I think three of those was in game week two or three, <laughs> uh, because I wanted to get the team in early. So I was like ahead of the curve. Uh, so I need, I wanted my foundation in place that then allowed me to plan more long-term with the rest uh, of the game. So when you talk about having the foundation in place, are you talking about your big hitters, the, the really expensive players, which you can then you you can then move around the sides with some of the other players, some of the cheaper players? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, for example, had identified Kevin De Bruyne as very early on, but this year was weird because the Manchester teams didn't have a game the first mm-hmm. uh, the first game week, but I got him in, and then Manchester City was really struggling at the start which also wasn't part of my plan. Uh, and it's maybe hard to remember now, but I think even uh, De Bruyne himself was out for a few weeks uh, with a quote-unquote mystery injury hmm. that occurred <laughs> in the, the first international break. Uh, and uh, I think uh, from my novice psychology analysis and uh, recognizing mental health uh, struggles, I think he actually was pretty pretty exhausted after that summer, after no preseason and then coming back and the way he described, well, while with Belgium, he described being out on a bike bike trip and then not feeling 100% and then withdrew. So I think it's, there's some interesting quotes from that time as well. Uh, nice. But yeah, that basically uh, made me realize he wasn't to be depended on at that time. And at the same time, 
we were scoring for fun, <laughs> which also feels far away now. <laughs> it certainly does. It certainly does. Yeah, I mean, so so that's a really interesting point that you kind of you you picked up on De Bruyne's quotes and used that to make a judgment call on whether you're going to build your team around him. Is that something you do? You kind of consume as much information as you can about team news um, to in, then inform your team selections. I think uh, I might be an extra aware because of De Bruyne because I'm interested in in him as a, a person and a player because he was so standout the year before. Uh, so I can't say I. I I read the quotes of every press conference of every team. I'm, I'm not. I'm not that hardcore, uh, but I do believe in uh, the more data you have available, the more uh, with the more strength you can make your own claims and more make your own view on things. So, like you can plan ahead rather than reacting to things happening. Uh, I, I got a question. So, um, throughout the season, was obviously you spoke about like getting the big guys in Sun, Kane, Martinez. Was it because you only made five transfers? Was there a player who was like your Mister Reliable that you just kept the whole season and was just a, a slow kind of guy that just kept tick, ticking the points over? Or when you're leading, do you have to have like big big players scoring high points all the week or every single week? Uh, so I didn't make five transfers in total, but only took five hits. Um, okay, so yeah, yeah. The, the free transfer every week, uh, which I tried to to plan accordingly. Uh, so someone like uh, Bruno Fernandes this year, as well as Harry Kane, like I depended on them. Uh, but there's also like you can swap them out to other high hitters. Um, but I think the the value is finding someone who is a key player for lower budget. So. Getting on the Grealish train early, I think mm. I think that helped me a lot because he was really like everything in Villa was going through him. Uh, and then uh, I think I had Jota for his two good spells, but also both his injuries, so that was a bit of like hit and miss. Uh, and then getting on Gundogan, I thought I got on him earlier than I did, but uh, he's also like someone vastly overperforming their value. So I think. Uh, that's also like one of the reasons to get on your core team, so to say, early is that you get all the budget boost uh, from that. So, if, uh, yeah, so I think I ended up the team worth 105 million instead of the 100 million budget to start with. So it's like one of the advantages of being ahead of the curve. And I just got one more question regarding sentimentality. Like, would you, did you ever back against Tottenham? So, did you back Tottenham getting beaten? And how did you? How did you approach Arsenal players? Because there's someone on this call who would quite happily do do bad things to Tottenham with Arsenal players in fantasy football. Are you one of those people? <laughs> this year, actually, I, I've had the, the rule of no Arsenal players in my team earlier. But this year, actually, I removed it. Uh, but with that being said, there wasn't much happiness to be gained from Arsenal players <laughs> this year. So yeah. uh, I can say I've, uh, I used it a lot. Um, sorry, what's the first part of the question? Yeah, Tottenham. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, like, I didn't have Son and Kane at the start because, like, I don't want to get emotionally carried away. Mm. <laughs> and it's easy to uh, mix up your own emotions and wishes for how you wish games will go uh, when you're com- Like, for example, I think, is it 2016 or something? Or 2015? I had Soldado between August and mm. November. Yeah, so I think trying to eliminate the emotions from it is, is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. And and Eric, there's so much media around FPL these days. There are multiple YouTube channels, podcasts, 
many, many websites devoted entirely to FPL. Um, I'm interested in what media you consume and what noise you try to block out because it's very easy to listen to too much information, which can be um, can be conflicting at times, but also it can just sort of confirm your own biases. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's exploded as well. I think the number of players has gone from like 4 million to 8 million in two years. And the content around that like has followed as well because now you can make money of it. Uh, so there's definitely an overload of information available. Um, so, and I think you're completely right there. It's easy to get lost in your own ways. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm trying to stay conscious that I get more data available, but I'm making my own conclusions from the data. So then I don't feel like, then I know if something fails, like at least it was based on my perception and I don't have anyone else to blame. And the same, like if it goes well. Uh, and in terms of specifics, I've, this year I've used uh, Ben Krellin. Uh, I've used his uh, spreadsheets to plan, uh, plan ahead of time. So he creates a spreadsheet every year and keeps it updated with the fixtures. So you get an overview of each game week and then you can plan ahead like, oh, do I have a captain candidate in this game week, etc. Uh, that's like a great tool. Uh, I've been consuming FPL General, who's the athletic uh, contributor for FPL. He has a, a podcast uh, and a Twitter account. Uh, that's He's very sensible and very uh, hit averse. And I, I like his strategy. Uh, so I think I've learned from his way of not rushing back to players coming back from injury, but like seeing what state they're in when they come back and how do they fit back into the system that might have changed since they were out, etc. Uh, and then I also listened to The Green Arrow, uh, which is uh, another fantasy podcast uh, with uh, Andy Hopcroft and Adam Hopcroft and Andy Ferguson, I think their name is, yeah. Um, but I, th- I think I've placed better than all of those three podcasters. <laughs> so I've been able to apply their the reasoning, uh, but with my own conclusions. And it's been treating me well. Did you um did you clean sweep every league you were in or did anyone did somebody beat you? No, actually uh uh I've won four leagues I'm in out of eight or nine, I think. Oh wow. <laughs> Whoa, you must play with like proper high rollers. <laughs> yeah, I've actually like um so the Green Arrow is part of this website called the Fantasy Football Hub, which is a, a good website for statistics and stuff. And they have a league as well. And I'm number four hundred and fifty-three in that one. Whoa! Wow! So, like, so the extra inch league is just like the conference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess at least compared to that one. Uh, I remember there was a period of time a few years ago when um, the only way I could have got hold of like expected goals tables was through like subscribing to various fantasy football um, networks and memberships because they they there was there were. <sighs> There was like a, there was a gap when I first started playing when I was at uni about eight years ago. Um, there wasn't a lot going on in that. And then suddenly it sort of exploded and expected goals came into fantasy football in a big way. And then it was very, very data heavy, also hidden behind, behind paywalls. I was, I was kind of tempted, not because I was particularly into fantasy football that much, but because that was one of the very few ways of getting hold of that data. Um, and I imagine they're still pushing the forefront there. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um... You just mentioned Fantasy Football Hub. They've even created a tool this year. Uh, and shout out to Will as well, who founded that. He's a Spurs fan. I'm not sure if he listens to the X-Range, but if he does, thank you for the tools. <laughs> but he used uh, a predicted points model even. So like based on, um, yeah, like 
everything from minutes played to chance of goals and assists, they have a, a prediction each week as well. Nice. Uh, and that helps somewhat with pick, picking captaincy and stuff. That's wonderful. Um, the final thing I'd like to talk about, Eric, is is the the pressure and the stress that this game can cause, um, particularly when you're doing well. Um, I mean, it's, it's stressful when you're doing really badly, but there comes a point where you're doing so badly, like me this season, where you just don't care anymore. Uh, but when you're doing well and you're competing at the top of your leagues, it does. Like, if you're into it, if you care about it, it does put some some mental pressure on you. How do you how do you cope with that side of things? I think the the very specific example for FPL is uh, I'll, I'll reference Nathan here in terms of what he's talked about transfers previously that you can only judge a transfer based on the data available at the point of taking the decision mm. and it's the same in FPL so uh, like random things will always happen and stress is triggered by uh, it's like feeling a lack of control so you can never control the result of something but you can control the process i think focusing on the process uh which is funny when we have a manager who's only results based but (laughs) (laughs) process definitely helps reducing stress and uh, anxiousness around uh, what you're doing and i think in a large perspective as well uh, i think it helps to disconnect like uh, confidence in doing something and self-worth which both of them easily like get connected so if you fail with a certain tasks, if that's connected to your self-worth, you'll feel bad as well. But if it's disconnected, the only thing you have to lose is like, oh, I didn't perform the best at this specific task. It's not connected to your, your own well-being. I think that's a, a good practice to have in life in general, in, in work and, and stuff like this, stuff like FPL. You sound very wise. I think um, I think Spurs should be giving you a call about the, the vacant manager's role, frankly. <laughs> um so this was your your second highest finish ever you finished 16 um 16,011th um you you have been around about 12,000 once before but this is your second best finish it's really impressive um three finishes in the top 20k is is good going that's a sign of an exceptional FPL player um what are you going to do Eric to ensure that you win again next year that's a great question. I think uh, I'll probably tweak the process a little bit. Uh, I know uh, I've been too cautious at some some points. Uh, and you said you're like being a bit protective when it's going well, rather than actually trusting the process. So I think I might be a bit more aggressive, but also remain hit-averse. So it's, it's, a, it's a mix, I guess. Um, Eric, it was such a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on your win. You you thoroughly deserved it. And, uh, you know, we, we sent you a T-shirt, which you're proudly wearing on this call. Uh, and now you've been in the extra inch as well. I hope, I hope it's been, <laughs> I hope it's been all right. I hope you've enjoyed being on. And um, yeah, best of luck for, best of luck for next season. Thank you. You too. Wonderful. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud at Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.